All right. So does anyone need a Bible? Raise your hand if you need a Bible. We do this every week. We hand out Bibles, and part of the reason we do this is because we want you to know that I don't have some special Anthony translation, but this is a good translation of the Bible for you to read. So go ahead, raise your hand. It's not, it's not weird. I won't call on you if you raise your hand. And so, and then also part of this is if you don't own a Bible and this, you're getting this Bible right now when you're raising your hand. Keep this Bible. This is our gift to you. But if you do own a Bible, just go ahead, set it somewhere in the back on your way out. All right? So we've been in this book of Acts, right? We've been in the book of Acts. And what we've seen from the book of Acts is that it's not only the acts, like the actions of the early disciples and the early believers, but it's really the acts of God, right? Through the early disciples, through the early believers. And we saw in the beginning that Jesus said, hey, this is what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come in power and cause you to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this last few weeks in particular, we've seen God doing this. We've seen him bringing the gospel. We've seen him going global with the gospel. Okay, first we saw, like, they just started talking to Hellenists. Those are just Greek-speaking Jews. So that was kind of different, and that was kind of different than, the, like, the 12 guys that followed Jesus around. And so that was kind of new. That was kind of going towards the ends of the earth. And then we saw the gospel go to the Samaritans, which the Jewish people and the Samaritans had some tensions. And so the gospel went to the Samaritans in power, and it was clear to the disciples that they, that these Samaritans, Samaritans were truly becoming believers. And then we even saw this one Ethiopian guy just headed down a road back towards Ethiopia, and he gets the gospel, and he believes, and he starts heading back to Ethiopia. And then last week, we saw that Peter kind of needed to hear from God about how God is bringing the gospel and making it go global. And, and it happened like this. Peter's like sleeping out on a patio or a porch or a deck or something like that. And he starts to have this vision or this dream. And this, there's like this sheet. And there's these animals and all this kinds of stuff. And in the dream, God says to Peter, Peter, take these animals, kill them, and eat them. And Peter, Peter says, but Lord, no, I'm, I'm kosher, man. Like, I can't, I can't eat these animals. I'm kosher. And, and there's, there's moments where I know this is why God used Peter and not a guy like me in this moment. Because I know if I'm, like, sitting there, I'm having this dream, and God's like, Anthony, take these animals, kill, and eat. I'd be like, yes, Lord. The bacon? All the bacon. I'll get it, Lord. I will eat every piece of bacon to your glory, right? Like I would just, I would do that. But, but God was trying to communicate something to Peter. He was communicating like with his life, he has made even the animals who were once ceremonially unclean, with his life he's made them clean because Jesus has been the ceremonial perfect sacrifice for us. And then what's more is not just his food and bacon and, and bacon-wrapped shrimp up for grabs now, but that the gospel is going to go out to the Gentiles, to all the world. It's going to go global. It's going to be not just for the Jewish people, which was kind of, I think, what was happening and stirring in Peter's heart. And God was saying, no, I, I'm going global with this gospel. These people, these people outside of Jerusalem that you once believed were unclean, I am making them clean with my gospel, with me, with my life. And so today we're going to continue to see God taking the gospel global, and we're going to see what that means for us today, okay? And so let's see what we can learn. We're going to be in Acts 
chapter 11. So go ahead, turn to Acts chapter 11 while I take a drink of water. So we're in Acts chapter 11. We're going to be in verse 19. Let's, let's just get into it. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So, the gospel is now traveling north to these different places, to Cyprus and Phoenicia and Antioch. And what the trend was, they were preaching the gospel first to the Jewish people because it made sense to do that because the Jewish people had the Torah which talked about this Messiah, this Christ, who they were saying, the, the early believers, was Jesus. And so they were going to these Jewish people in hopes that they it would click for them that their own religious text spoke of this person coming. Now, I, I love what happens, though. There's these, these guys from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they say, you know what? Let's just start preaching it to everybody, starting with the Hellenists. Let's just start preaching it to everybody. And, and I, I think it's significant that there's a note there that says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. Because I think these guys understood that the gospel was going to the ends of the earth. They got it. And I, I, this isn't the point of my sermon, but I think what they understood is that so often who God saves is who you least expect. And I think we need to hear that because all the time I'm talking to people and, I'm, and they're telling me about how they're nervous to share with someone uh, the gospel and about Jesus and what they believe. And they go, well, I just don't think this person's ready for it yet. Well, time and time again in Acts, there's entire groups of people that you would think are not ready for the gospel but God, the Holy Spirit, comes in and changes their hearts and causes them to believe in Jesus. And so I wish that we can be a people that, that realize that, you know, you don't have to be ready for the gospel if God wants to move. Now, there's probably wisdom in that, in how you share the gospel, but I think too often we let that kind of hinder us. And so these guys, they're out proclaiming the gospel to everyone, and the hand of the Lord is with them, and everyone is getting saved, and they're in this place called Antioch. And Antioch was maybe the third largest city in the whole world, like known world to them at that point. There was, historians all say there was at least 500,000 people that lived there, if not over a million or a couple million. And so Antioch was this place that had all sorts of commerce and all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds that had all sorts of religions. A, a historian I know said this, Antioch, the, the city of Antioch was all the world in one place. Okay, And so Antioch is this very diverse place. And in the midst of it, these people are getting saved. People from all different backgrounds are getting saved in the place that's called all the world in one place. And so Jerusalem, where the church started, they hear about this, and they say, hey, let's send Barnabas. 
Let's go send him to see if this is legit, if this is a real movement, if these are real believers. And so Barnabas goes, and I love what it also says he, he sees. He sees the grace of God among them. I think that's significant. Because if he went and he just saw a bunch of people following the Ten Commandments, the grace of God might not have been there. But he went and he saw a people who said, you know what, God saves us completely. It is God who saves us, not us adhering to a particular religion or a particular set of values. It was the grace of God was amongst them. They understood that God, with his unmerited favor, just saved them. And so Barnabas is excited and he's encouraged and he's like, man, this is great. I love what's happening here. And what we're going to see is he wants to continue to do work here. And we're going to see in the next passage who he gets to come alongside him. And then I think in the midst of this work that he's doing, we're going to see something I think is just really amazing happen. So verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, so, so Barney, he, he, he gets going back to, to Tarsus, right? And he gets his buddy Saul. And he, he, they totally called him Barney, I think. And so they, and he brings, up, brings Saul. And he says, Saul, we got to teach these people in Antioch. They're growing. They're, they're true believers. The grace of God is there. And so Saul comes with them, and they're teaching for a year. And then this is the amazing thing that I think happens. The, the believers, for the first time, start being called Christian. And, and there's a few things that's amazing about it. But first, one of the, the cool things is the believers didn't come up with this name themselves. Right? The people of everything I've read, everything I've looked at historically says, no, this was the people of Antioch were looking at this group of people and they said, hey, we're going to call them the Christians. And so I had to be like, what does that word mean? And I was, I was looking at what it meant right then. And, and it basically meant like the Christ group the group of Christ people, the group of Jesus people, right? And I love that, that these people from Antioch, they look at these group of believers and they go, this is the Jesus group. This is the Christ group. This is the people that think Jesus is the anointed one that came to save us all. They're the Jesus group. Because they could have given the, the believers a lot of names, but instead they said, no, this is the Christ group. This is the Jesus group. I can just imagine it through their eyes. They're they're looking at these believers and they see people they knew that were Jewish, people that they knew that were Hellenists, people that they knew that they were some other kind of religion. They were seeing rich people. They were seeing poor people. They were seeing men. They were seeing women. They were seeing entire families all follow this guy named Jesus. And the only thing that they all had in common was not what kind of business they were in or what kind of stage of life they were in, but it was Jesus. And so the people of Antioch said, the only name we can give them is Christians, right? These people belong to the party of Jesus is kind of how that term was used too, like in a sense of a political party. But it's it's still cool to me because Jesus wasn't a political party. And so this name Christians was really unique. And so they, the early believers, quickly in a place that had all sorts of religions and all sorts of people, they were defined by Jesus and not by how they wanted to define themselves. 
And it was, it, it was definitely upgrade to the name they were using. They were, before we've seen, they were like, hey, we're part of the way, right? And I, I'm just, I feel like people would just be like, is that like a Star Wars thing? I'm not sure, right? It, it was around back then. And, and so they're called Christians, and, and so Jesus becomes who defines them. And as I was reading this, I just began to wonder if the world looked at us, if the world looked at you and me, and they were going to de- describe describe our belief system, would they call us Christians in the sense that we are completely defined by Jesus? Would they? I don't know. I'm not sure. Right? I I think, unfortunately, like the the term Christian has been hijacked, right? Like I don't know if it's the media. I don't know if politics. I don't know what has hijacked. Maybe we've hijacked it. And, And Christian has less become about being the Jesus people or the Jesus group, and it's more become the, a group of people that are against a certain set of things. It just has it, it, in the greater society. Or, or the term Christian has kind of become these people who said, hey, we've got a hold on morality, and if we follow morality this way, we get to heaven. And that, my friends, is not the gospel That's not what we believe. Now, there are some things true. Like when we are followers of Jesus, we are going to be against certain things. We are going to think that this book's morality is the best morality in the world. But both those things don't get us to heaven. Only Jesus gets us to heaven. And so I just wonder if the world looked at us, would they define us by saying, man, those are the Jesus people. That's the Jesus group. And so I, I so badly hope for our church that that's how people, and especially the world, would look at us and begin to define us. That they would say, man, these are the Jesus people. These are the ones that think Jesus is the key to everything. And so my question for you is, like, when your non-Christians, look, friends, look at you, why do they know you're a Christian? Is it because... You say, God bless you instead of just bless you when they sneeze? Is it, because, is it because you go to church? Is it because you vote a certain way? Is it because you have a Jesus fish on your car? And those things are all good and fine. But it would be such a better witness, which we see as a theme throughout Acts, if people looked at us and go, man, that guy, I know he's a Christian because he's a Jesus person. He loves Jesus, he knows Jesus, he steams Jesus, he talks about Jesus. I ask him, hey man, what do you think Jesus would do about this? And he gives me a pretty good answer of what he thinks Jesus would do based on some evidence. Wouldn't it be so amazing if that's what happened when our non-Christian friends or non-Christian just people in our life looked at us and they, they just saw a people that exalted Jesus, a people that praised Jesus, a people that esteemed Jesus and not ourselves or not our favorite preferences or not our favorite rules. I think the world, anyone that's not a Christian needs to be able to come into this room and they need to look around and they go, I don't know what they have in common except they all love Jesus. And maybe we have some other things in common and that's okay, but that needs to be our main identifier that someone could walk in this room and go, man, I don't know. But they love Jesus. They know Jesus. They esteem Jesus. I so badly want that for us as a church. And I'm not saying we don't have it, but I just so badly want that. I want to be the people that think Jesus 
is the key to everything, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is king over all of our life. And I think the more that Jesus defines us, the more that we'll become like Jesus and the more the world will begin to see Jesus through us. Right? And what we see in this passage so far is it really seems that their words were what were letting the, anti, the people of Antioch know that they esteemed and loved Jesus so much. But Jesus himself was a man not just of words, but he was a man of deeds. Right? He spoke about the kingdom, but he brought forth the kingdom. He spoke about who God is, but he was God who came to earth. Right? So Jesus was a man of word and deed. And I think for us, if we're really going to be called the Jesus people, we can't just talk about him, although that is very important and necessary, but we also have to live and to be like him. And in this next part of the passage, I think what we're going to see is that people began to do these deeds that were like Jesus. And so the world could look and go, man, Jesus did stuff like that. And so let's read this next part of the passage, verse 27. It says this, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the, by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined every one, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands, hand of Barnabas and Saul. So, uh, a prophet with a name, right? Agabus, right? Like, you know he does not like his parents. And he, he comes and he says, hey, there is a famine that's going to come. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit us. And what, what's amazing is even just that deed points to being a Jesus person. It points to being part of the Jesus group. Because Jesus, often, he got up and he, said, he pro- prophesied things. He talked about the temple falling. He talked about his own death. He talked about his own resurrection. He talked about, he prophesied these things that were about to happen that had not happened yet. And so this guy, Agabus, he is looking like Jesus when he gives this prophecy to the church. So the believers, they hear this prophecy and they say, hey, let's get our money together and let's feed those in Jerusalem to make sure that they're covered during this famine. Well, Jesus did that too. Because there was at least two occasions, at least two occasions that we know of, where thousands of people followed Jesus out into the middle of nowhere, and Jesus said, hey, let's make sure they eat. I want to make sure they've got food. I don't want them, he says it like, I don't want them to faint on the way back home. Right? We can't imagine that, because there's, there's a McDonald's even in Camp Verde on the way to Phoenix. Like, we would not faint while we're traveling. But this happened, so Jesus fed people. And so the disciples knew that, and so they fed people. Jesus was generous to us, so the disciples are generous to the people in Jerusalem. Jesus was a man of word and deed, and what we'll find is that if our words match our deeds, the world will begin to see Jesus. They will look past you, and they'll begin to see Jesus. If we just have the words, that's good, but I don't think people will ever get to really experience Jesus' love for them outside of a miraculous move of the Holy Spirit, which does happen. 
But if we just have the deeds without the words, people will never really get to know who Jesus is or know what true salvation is too. So we need to be like people like Jesus. We need to be the Jesus group. We need to have word and we need to have deed. And I think that was so common in the life of the early Christians, that they were people of word and they were people of deed. And I think, uh, I think that the people of Antioch, they would begin as this famine came, or actually it was the people of Jerusalem. So this famine happens, and I can only imagine that when this famine happens, that the people of Jerusalem that weren't Christians, they would see that there was a group of people that were all eating. And that group was the Christians. The Christians, these, this, this Jesus group. And I, I could just imagine somebody's neighbor going up to a Christian and being like, okay, man, you guys are eating. What's the deal with this Jesus guy? What's the group? What's the, what's the deal with you Christians? And I can just imagine this person being like, man, I was right where you were at one point. I had this coworker who used to always tell me that Jesus was this awesome, great guy who saves me from my sin. And who saves me from my sin, who Jesus, he, they said that this guy, Jesus, you've probably heard about him, he was walking around, that he never sinned himself. That he became this sacrifice that we need so that God doesn't pour his wrath out on us. So that we could spend eternity with God. With God. But what's crazier is Jesus, when he died, and when, when that happened, he actually came back to life. And so it proves he's God. And it shows that he wants to share in life with us through eternity. And so I was there. I, I was with my buddy at some of these gatherings they had, and I was just like, man, I'm not sure. That sounds really good. But what convinced me was my buddy began to just love me. My buddy just began to care for me in ways that I'd never been cared for before. My buddy, he would teach about what Jesus would say and what Jesus would do in a particular situation, and then my buddy would actually do it. And I can just imagine this person, this new believer, saying to his friend, like, man, I actually really like that you guys call us Christians. Because at some point, I began to believe that Jesus did those things. At some point, I began to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And when that happened, my identity changed. My, my identity changed because now, instead of God seeing the messful, messy, sinful person that I am, God sees Jesus his son. And yeah, I'm still fully this individual he's created me to be. And I can just imagine that, that the early Christians were like, we like that name. We want to be defined by Jesus. And I can imagine that conversations happened with their buddies who were naming these things. And the conversations wouldn't end because then they would continue into deeds where people were beginning to not only speak about Jesus and esteem them with their mouth, but they esteemed and loved Jesus with their life and their actions because they had found a new identity. They had found an identity, not in themselves, not in their own striving, not in their trades, but they found an identity in Jesus, who is the only identity any of us all need, especially because there's sin in the world. We need Jesus to be our identity. And so for the early Christians, this is what was true about them. They lived in word and deed. They truly were the Jesus group. They were the party belonging to Jesus because Jesus was who solely defined them. And I think it could be really easy to go away from today and go, 
well, I need to add some more words to my life. Or go over here and go, I need to add some more deeds to my life to be more like Jesus. And that's, that's all good. And maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you of those things. But I think if we really want to become like Jesus, there are some fundamental heart changes that need to happen. And listen, I grew up in the church. I've been a Christian for a long time. And I still need these fundamental heart changes to happen. And so I want to talk about a little bit for a little bit is how we often, we define ourselves, we find our identity in things that are not Jesus. Even as Christians, we find our identity in, in this whole bunch of things that, that, that are just not Jesus. And that's not good because then when the world looks at us, they don't see the Jesus group. They see the group that is really about this or really about that or really about this or the person that's really about this or really about that. And so I was talking to Vince and to Andy this week, and I was just saying, hey, in your conversations recently, what do you feel like people find their identity in that's not Jesus? What do you think is something that people are struggling with? And we came up with a few of them. And so this first one is, and I struck, when, when Andy said this, I was like, man, that's good, because that's what I do. <laughs> and it's that we, we have this, like, image that we want to keep up. We just want to look good to people, right? And I don't mean like look good out like at the club or something, but I mean like we just want people to look at us and respect us and revere us and think we're really good at things and that we're really awesome. And so often finding our identity in that keeps us from Jesus. It keeps us from displaying Jesus to the world. And it, gets, it just gets tired. It just gets tiring. Just constantly trying to be good. And then at a certain point, it eventually looks like, man, this is how I find my justification here in the world. This is how I find my justification at all. When Jesus says, man, I have your justification over here and it's in me. When Jesus says, man, I am good. I am the only good. Please find your rest and your goodness in me. And so I think so often we just find our identity in what the world thinks of us. And that often leads to us not being able to speak about Jesus. It's easy to live like him in that situation, but it's not easy to speak about him because we're afraid of what people would think. But if we understand that Jesus is the ultimate goodness, then we can rest in him and our identity in him. So that was one thing. Good one, Andy. Um, the next thing is, I think, is just in our wealth, in our, our, our comfort and our security. I just think that's true. I see it in my own life, right? I just find that I just feel much more secure when my wealth and my finances and my things are going the direction I want it to go. Now, hear me. I'm not saying wealth and having money or being rich is bad. I'm not at all. I, that's great. But what I'm saying is when we find our security in it, we lose our identity in Christ. Because our complete security should be found in Christ because he secured our salvation. There's not much more we need than that. And so that, that causes us to have our wealth in a way that finds Jesus as our identity and as our security and as our true wealth. What's more is Jesus owns everything. 
So when we try to act like our security or our, our wealth or even lack of wealth a lot of times is where we need to find our identity, that's just not true. Jesus owns everything. And one day you're going to be in heaven with him forever. You're going to be on this renewed earth with him forever. So we need to repent from that. We need to find Jesus as our security. I think another one that I think is more in the younger crowds, but I think it's, it's permeating society as a whole, but there's kind of this movement, and I, I even sometimes call it like this new religion, a new way to justify ourselves to the world, and it's by like really clinging to all the new social movements and all the right ways to say things. And, and basically every, like well, a lot of like what the world says, hey, this is what it means to be a good person. There's just something in us, especially as younger people that say, man, I want to cling to these things. And what happens, what's so sad that happens in the midst of that is that, that your definition of good becomes doing all of these things. And that's why I call it religion, because it's just doing all of these things in order to be a good person. And so we strive, and then we judge, and we, we judge anyone that doesn't do all these good things the right way, and, and we are always finding a new rule to add. When Jesus, again, he did every good thing you need him to do. And if you're really worried about loving and caring for people, and I think that's good, you should care for people, you should worry about how you talk to people, and some movements are good movements to be a part of. But man, if life in Christ, life with your identity in Jesus, you're going to be all things to all people. You just are because of how the, how the Holy Spirit moves in you. So be careful. Don't find a new religion that, of being good enough, of doing all the right things so society views you the right way. Find Jesus. Find Jesus. A couple more ways I think we find our identity in things that aren't Jesus. This one is one for me is just being right. I experience this most when I log into Facebook, right? There are so many things that I just want to comment on, and I just want to be like, hey, you just need to know the truth about this, right? There's just so much stuff, and I'm like, if they know the truth, life will be better. And some of that is true. But then I, like, look over at my identity in Jesus, and I look at how he was just sitting on trial, and he was silent, they're like, hey, you're the son of God. And he's like, you're saying it. If anyone could be right, if anyone could fight for being right and find their identity and being right, it's Jesus. Right? It's Jesus who people just fly out of roofs and he's just like, you're paralyzed? Not anymore. Right? Like he, this, like if anyone could be like, yeah, I did that because I'm God. Right? Like if anyone could do it, it's Jesus. But he didn't because being right is not what saves you. Being right is not what saves the world unless you're being right about Jesus and finding your identity and salvation solely in him. And so we need to repent from how bad we want to be right. I'm speaking to some of you that argue with me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm speaking to myself. I'm speaking to myself because I do this. And then there's this final one. And this one's scary to me because I think it, again, is in the church at large, is there's this kind of thing that happens where we, we take this theology and this theology and this theology, and now we create the Anthony theology. 
And we're like, this is the theology that's the best theology. And if you don't believe this perfectly, you don't really get God. Now listen, theology is really good. The study of God and who he is through his word is so important. But when I create this theology over here out of all my favorite theologies and I get really mad when people say something wrong or do something in a way that I want to do it and I am not gentle to restore them, which like all of the New Testament says to do is gently restore your brothers and sisters, then we have a problem because you've created a little religion out of the words of the Bible. And that is scary. Now listen, fight for good theology. But just be aware that sometimes the good theology you fight for are these peripheral things. These peripheral things that that matter, but they do not hinge on the person of who Jesus is. Like we would say they are open-handed issues rather than closed-handed issues. You know, just an example of this, honestly, is like end times. Okay, we don't, none of us know what's going to happen. Let's be honest. We're all trying to figure out, none of us know. We're like, there might be a real dragon. I don't know, right? <laughs> we need to stop just clinging to these things and acting like people are so dumb or, or belittle people or, bel- or in our minds even because they have a different theology than us. Fight for good theology. Fight for who Jesus is. But know the difference between an open-handed issue and a closed-handed issue. Close-handed issue is we find our identity in Jesus. That for us is true as Christians. So there's all kinds of ways that our hearts tend to want to take things and make those our identity. But Jesus says, I should be your identity. And that was so clear in the early church in Antioch because the early church in Antioch, they were called Christians because people looked at them And they said, man, that's the Jesus group. That's the group that follows Jesus. That's the group that lives like Jesus. That's the group that does things that Jesus did. I so badly want that for us. And I know maybe the term Christian has been hijacked, but I want the world to look at us and say something like that. I want them to look at us and just see Jesus because Jesus is who defines us. Jesus is who deserves the most glory. We don't deserve it, friends. He deserves it. And what's more is we are created to give him that glory. So let's be the Jesus group in this city so that our city can see him. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. And we need you. Make us like the Jesus people. Help us to repent. God, it could be really easy for us to just go, man, I just got to add more words or I got to add more deeds and that's what's going to save me or that's what's going to make me better. And some of that, there might be a little bit of truth, God, there in that. But God, I would just ask that you would cause our hearts to repent. That you would cause us to, to give us eyes even to see where we find our identity in a whole mess of things that's not you, Jesus. God, I need to find my identity in you. So often, God, I'm defensive. So often, I'm fighting to be good or looking to be seen as good because I'm finding my identity in myself or in other things and not you, Jesus. Jesus, you said to us that whoever loses his life will gain it. God, help us to lose our life. Help us to know that true life is only found in you. 
God, thank you for what you did. You are king over our life. Amen.